I have a question for you guys, if you don't mind. I actually have two questions, but they're kind of related, I swear. How many of you, either by memory or having rewatched this episode, liked this episode? Uh, I'll go ahead and raise my hand on that one, because I do. I consider this one of their better episodes. It was an episode uh, by Melinda Snodgrass, directed by Gabriella Beaumont, and both of them show their chops throughout. Even though this episode was actually supposed to be completely different and going in a completely different direction, you could still see the general polish of both women involved in this episode. As I've already demonstrated and talked about before, these people are very talented people, and, you know, I think it shows. I also think uh, there's some talented acting going on, even though the guy playing Finn is someone I've never heard of before. I can't remember his name right now. It's Richard something. Um, but he does, he does a solid performance as well. Even the kid, who has no lines, does a decent job of his role. The second question I have is, have, how many of you have never seen this episode? Apparently there are certain channels and certain television networks that to this very day will not show this. I do know that this was banned in the UK as well as in the, the Irish Republic for some years, for many, many years, because of the presentation of the material and the fact that there's literally a throwaway line by data, which taken out of context could be seen as a tacit uh, approval of terrorist acts in order to unify Northern Ireland. And I gotta tell you, I, re I remember years ago, years ago, I sat down and I was like, you know what, someday, someday I hope I get to do a television show of my own where I get to, well, internet show of my own, because <laughs> I didn't know about that back then, where I get to sit down and talk about terrorism on the internet. That's gonna be so awesome. For those of you listening to the MP3 version, this is sarcasm. I don't want to talk about terrorism, but I have to. Because here it is. Boom! What they're doing is quantifiably one-to-one -one terrorism. I wrote down the definition. The unlawful use of violence and intimidation, especially against civilians, in pursuit of political aims. Yeah? <laughs> I also want to address one other thing really quick. This actually skips forward in the episode, but it's the thing I've heard most discussed about this episode, especially amongst my friends and I back when we were geeks and talking about history class. In this episode, Finn, the terrorist, flat out says, you know, what's the t terrorism is totally a thing that's a good thing. I mean, the only difference between a terrorist and a general is if you're a loser or a winner. Now, uh, there are certainly some gray areas there. But I have adamantly disagreed with that argument for most of my entire life. Because I've heard it levied since I was a teenager. Like This, this is a, such a common thing. The only thing that's different... No! <clears throat> you blow up a cafe in an attempt to change someone's mind politically. Terrorism! You blow up a military installation or a supply convoy. Or you steal something from one of the two aforementioned things. Military action. <laughs> Blowing up a bus with 60 kids in it is not a military action. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know? The, in fact, it's so silly that I don't even see how some people can even argue that this is one of those things. That, I, I don't get this, personally. There is some gray here. 
The gray is, what do you do if terrorism is all that's left to you? They do imply that twice in this episode. Uh, once with Data, who brings up the usage of... In fact, I wrote it down here. Uh, where did I wrote it down? Here it is. Terrorism is terrorism considered to be acceptable when all peaceful methods have been exercised. Now, that is a very interesting question. What do you think the answer is to that? No, seriously. Because here's the thing. And for the record, I would say no. That is my personal opinion, and I, am, I feel free to put that out there on the Internet. I don't think there is any justi justification for terrorism, personally, as I have defined it. Having said that, that is just my opinion, and I'm not saying that's the absolute truth. The argument can and has been leveled that sometimes you simply do not have the resources, material, backing personnel or otherwise standing in order to take military action against an oppressor or an occupying power or to try and change things politically or whatever, right? That your only option is to go after targets that you can hit, which is what is usually referred to as soft targets. Now, going after soft targets has been done in military actions in the past, in wars. Anybody who knows their history will know it almost universally ends up really badly, if not in the short term, then definitely in the long term. A scorched earth policy or a bombing civilian populist policy, to use two immediate examples, does not end up well, especially for the people enacting it. Out of curiosity, how many of you there have relatives who were around during the Battle of Britain? Just to bring up an example of that. <sighs> Anyways, I'm getting off topic a little bit. I apologize. It's just this episode is just... Bleh. But is it considered acceptable if you are in a circumstance where you have no other method to fight back, basically, right? That's a good question. I've already given my opinion on it, but that, as I keep stressing, that word is merely my opinion. I don't know. I'm not God or Q or... Um, God, I don't know. <laughs> I was going to go with some joke here to try and lighten the mood, but suddenly I, I can't think of anything in the moment. Uh, yeah, I, I got nothing. <laughs> I, sh I should have done the other thing. Not God am I. Yes. I have to lighten the mood. We're talking about terrorism. We're talking about deliberately and intentionally killing civilian targets for the sake of political gain. Whether you consider that to be a worthy enough sacrifice or not, whether you consider that to be acceptable or not, you're still killing civilians. I've made my opinion on that very clear over the years. And, you know, civilian targets are unacceptable. Period. <laughs> just, just period. That's a line, right? It's not even a line I feel like I need to explain or discuss because it's so obvious why that line exists, where that line comes from. People have tried to gray that line over the years, and universally they have failed because every time they attempt to do so, they do so by leaping to wild theoreticals or very specific case examples that don't apply in the majority of instances. I have never heard someone argue for a valid reason to murder civilians. Why they're civilians? It's the whole purpose of the definition. Killing soldiers? Yeah, sure, I get that. Hell, it's not even just soldiers. Members of the military who have signed up or been conscripted into this duty understand the role being ascribed to them. Some guy out having a sandwich is not. Please forgive me. Now, God, I'm, I'm going to get so many comments on this video. I, uh, 
the reason I asked earlier if you like this episode, and I do like this episode, is because of the exact, near as I can tell, the exact same reason everyone involved in making it hates it. Like, hang on, oh shoot, where did I put the book? The book's on my bed. Books on my bed. It was a bunch of people. It was like Michael Piller and Melissa Snodgrass and uh, uh, Brennan Braga, who was actually working at Star Trek at this point in time, but only as an intern. You know, all of them, and I think there was a fourth one too, all of them said the same thing. This episode sucks. I think uh, Ronald D. Moore was the other one. This episode sucks. It's crap. We didn't have a message. We didn't do anything with it. But near as I can tell, that's why the episode succeeds. This is why I say that polish is on display. The episode actually goes out of its way to showcase things to be a lot less black and white than, for example, the aforementioned The Hunted, which was stupidly black and white in a situation that really shouldn't have been. That was custom designed to be gray. Here, though, here we have terrorists, murdering, civilian-killing terrorists, and they somehow make this one gray. Because we do have a situation where these people were an occupied power. We're taken over. We refused their independence 70 years ago. It's a huge period of time. We don't know how it, what's been going on in them, but we do have bits and pieces of the kind of oppression they've lived under. The woman, I can't remember her name, forgive me, but she actually does a really good job as the security head. She flat out says, you know, the, the amount of stuff, the crap that's happened from my predecessors is horrible. People just coming in and disappearing. People, you know, just, rape, just uh, grabbing people off the street in order to, 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 because they're suspected or whatever, right? That's the kind of thing that was normal before she showed up. This is just for one city, right? And we find out that the cell for this, oh god, I don't remember what they're called, the terrorists, Finn's group, is actually relatively small. A couple hundred, maybe three, right? Bunch of, bunch of, uh, uh, sympathizers. Which is an interesting thing, by the way. I don't know if you caught that. The beginning of the episode... The episode actually begins by aggravating me. Because Beverly immediately rushes to help people. Okay, that makes sense. And then she doesn't beam them up to the ship immediately. Why doesn't she do that? She's willing to do that for basically everyone else in the face of the universe. But she just decides to hang out on the planet in the immediate wake of a bombing attack in an area she knows is having high amounts of terrorism targets. Worf's concern is actually the most obvious. There could be a second bomb. There's also a second concern, which no one even brings up. They could come in guns blazing. She ignores both of these points and just decides to stay there and try to stabilize these people. Beam them to the freaking medical room. <laughs> God, I'm losing my words because how stupid that is. But there is something really cool in that scene. The guy who runs up, like, so, uh, let's see, I wrote it down. So first, uh, the cop comes over and says you need to leave. Then Worf says you need to leave. Then the cop comes again, and then Data says you need to leave. And then Picard says you have to leave. And she's there for three solid minutes. It's like three minutes and eight seconds, something along those lines, before she finally gets kidnapped. Did you notice that the gentleman who walks up is the same one who is the sympathizer later on in the episode? The one who Riker says, take a message to them. The one who ends up taking that message about people being rounded up to Finn. Same guy. Very subtle point and very nice. I imagine most people didn't even catch that. But that helps to explain why they took Crusher. They literally had someone on the spot who saw what was happening, put two and two together, she's a doctor, and then called up the cavalry to kidnap her. That's clever. And I think that's another reason why I like this episode, despite everything. Because it is a clever episode. So, 
you know, why would you do this? Their fight doesn't involve the Federation. It does now. This is basically the core point of the entire episode, bringing the Federation into this conflict. And I'll discuss that more later. But all I have to say is that that is admittedly a very complicated gray situation that I don't want to talk about <laughs> because I can't without getting into real-life situations where an external national power has been brought into an unrelated issue thanks to terrorist actions specifically against that power in order to bring its attention to their cause. And I don't even have to go into recent history to talk about that. You know, recent as in the last 50 years. There's this note here. Picard's like, mm, and Riker looks over and says, I don't want to be the one in the room when you beam her up. Why didn't he beam her up? I mean, I hate to say that. I really do. But that's, that was the right call. In fact, that was the correct call and the right call. There is, by all accounts, no no evidence that there is going to be a follow-up attack. They had someone there to, to spy on the results of their bombing, and that's it. And that happened to get them the information about Crusher, and they took her. But if the, she had just left, some of those people might have died. That is true. But nothing else would have happened. It was just another bombing. They're gone. Situation over. I would have beamed her up, by the way. And I say that speaking as someone who understands the difference between correct and right. In that moment, there were simply too many unknown variables. They didn't even know about the dimensional jumping thing yet. The inverter. Which, by the way, why didn't these people who they were bringing medical supplies to for free, by all accounts, um, not know about, not, not tell the Federation about the inverter? Especially considering they had people just down on the planet about this? Anyways. I would have found it funny if they kidnapped Data, like, by accident. Data just breaks out in, like, five minutes, and that's the end of the episode. Wouldn't that have been amusing? Wesley asks... Troy and Picard tell Wesley about what's going on to her mother. Nice scene. And then Wesley asks to be on the away team, and Picard immediately slams down, no, absolutely not, which is correct. Wesley is not commando material. You know what Wesley is? He's a geek. And I mean that as a good thing. If you know anything about me, you know that I use that word as a compliment. So he immediately instead says, Nope, I need you to figure out what the hell they're doing. You are on the counterintelligence team. Get to work. And you know Wesley's going to throw himself into that. And in fact, by all accounts, he did. He is the one who started them on the chain to figure out what the hell needed to be done to fix this situation. Keep that point in mind, by the way, for later. Just remember that, okay? So... There's this... I want to mention something really quick. This is a complete segue. This exact scene made me want to rewatch Voyager. I know that sounds so weird. I've just been kind of in the mood to rewatch Voyager anyways lately, because it just keeps coming up uh, in, in the course of my show. And I, and I really like just rewatching Voyager for fun. But the specific thing that reminded me of it here is there are more than one time, I think there's twice, but I believe there might be three times in Voyager, where Neelix is personally involved in things and says, I want to be on the away team. I want to be on the commando team to go rescue them. And the correct answer to that should be, no! <laughs> Neelix, buddy, we, go help in some other way, just like was told to Wesley. But instead, Neelix ends up le leading the away team and eh, shrug. Anyways. <clears throat> so... They talk about a couple of things here. She mentions that a bomb, which was, which was planted by a teenager, kills 60 kids in a school bus. 
As a side note, I can only say that from a completely detached perspective because I can't actually process that. I actually have uh, a child and a niece who are both very, very important to me, and I actually am incapable of processing that thought. I'm, I'm not. You, you can accuse me of moral cowardice or blinding myself or whatever. I don't have that ability. That is the level of horrific that is relatively normal for these people. The reason I brought this up was because she mentions that they claimed it was an accident. And she even mentions she might have believed that. But to be completely blunt, I'm not sure it really was an accident. Like, it probably was. Like, what's, what's the political benefit of bombing kids, right? It was supposed to be a military convoy. But we have seen and see throughout the course of the rest of the episode, they're totally willing to go after civilian targets for civilian reasons. You know, terrorism, like I said. In fact, the only military target we have any information of them going after at all is the Enterprise, and that is a big debatable right there. So, I like to think that they did bomb the 60 school kids on purpose. I like to think, listen to me, that is my preferred headcanon here. And that they then publicly said, oh no, we didn't do that because they don't want to lose public opinion. It was a mistake. But they wanted to do that because they wanted to get across that same thought. Finn flat out says, your Federation, your Riker, your medical supplies, your roundups, that's what's killing your son, not me. Keeping in mind he is the one who has directly ordered an attack on the Enterprise to blow it up to kill him. That is a classic case of misdirection and frank and overt manipulation or flat out self-delusion. One of the two. Or both, I suppose. That's not how that works, buddy. You blew up the Enterprise, you killed her son. Bam. But it seems like a tactic they would use, especially since this is, again, being done for political aims. Beverly even flat out says at one point, I hope you don't ever get real power, Finn. I've always wondered if Finn had any political aspirations, if he wanted to be part of the leading governance, assuming he was to win this particular arrangement to, to get himself free from the rest of the, the oppression that he may or may not be suffering from these people. Anywho, point being, I think that the deliberate intent here was to try and engender sympathy and to make that spark of a thought in the back of people's minds. If they would just let these people have what they want, they'd stop blowing up people. Now, that sounds silly when you put it that way, but, I mean, real-life history and fictional history both show how common of a thought process that is. You know, it, it's what I usually call blame reassignment. I've brought it up so many times. I'm going to be mad at you. You're not the one who killed my son, but you're right here, and I can blame you. I can do something about you. I can yell at you or hurt you. Right? So... I also like the touch that the inverter is killing them. It's a nice little additive, and it makes me wonder how much their movement would have just self-destructed if they didn't, it, like, like if the Federation didn't basically stop this particular cell, right? Like, <laughs> I'm actually curious how that would have gone. Um, there's this nice little bit where they are arresting children because of escalation. Because, as she flat out says, in a, world where in a world where children kill children, everyone is seen as a threat. I like how Riker says there's got to be a better way, but does not give an answer to that. I'm going to go ahead and pause now to explain why I think the, the episode really works. Um, the polish, the gray, 
the no message. This episode does not take a stand and say, this is what we're trying to say here. There's no soapboxing. There's no pontificating. There's no, we wanted to, how do I say this? There's none of the, we wanted you to think this way in this episode. Instead, they do what I tend to prefer personally, and I know a lot of other Trek fans personally who do. They put forth an issue, a dilemma, a true dilemma, and said, here it is. And they did an examination of it, and they showed several sides to it, and they showed it as a nice, complex dilemma, and then they walked away. The episode doesn't even end on a high note, really, unless you count the fact that the kid didn't kill, which maybe might be the start of things getting better. Although I have another thought on that, which we'll get to in a minute. But that's it. This is, this is the situation. It's dark, it's horrible. And I think that's why people are with it on this case, right? Um, Crusher even flat out says at this point, there's no need for your kind of violence. I like that. Because A, obviously she thinks that given where she's from, but B, she is using her culture and the culture she's interacted with as proof that a situation like that can exist. In an environment where terrorism is not viable, viable is not accurate or possible or even good, can exist. I want you to pause a moment and remember the Maquis. Just saying. Anyways... <clears throat> Then he gets really uppity and really defensive, and he flat out admits his own immorality. He, he at no point tries to proclaim himself as a good guy. I think that's part of what helps him. While he defends his actions as necessary, he shows legitimate regret for them multiple times. In fact, there's a great little side note where he, you know, she's, you know, she has already admitted she has a son. And she says, please, my son's on the ship. And he immediately was like, oh, God, your son's on the ship? No. And you could just see that regret there. He doesn't call off the attack. But you can see right there that there is more to him than just... <laughs> and I think that's another reason this episode succeeds. Finn is a complex character. Is he in this because this is the life that has become? You know, is, is he in this because he has been oppressed? Is he in this because he legitimately believes in the cause? Is he in this because he has some kind of moral imperative to do so based on his family or whatever happened to him in the past. Maybe he's just interested in the political power. Maybe he is a political idealist. Maybe he's an ideological idealist. We don't know. And that complexity, I think, adds to him. Side note, what do you think Finn's motives are, for real? His real, no-really motivations in all of this? I'm honestly curious of your thoughts. One little bit of, th of thought to keep in mind when you answer that question. He was willing to kill Picard when he knew he had lost. Keep that in mind. Because, that brings us to our next point. So they go and try to destroy... Uh, they try to destroy the Enterprise because they want interstellar attention. His strategy here makes a lot of sense, actually. We're going to bring the Federation in, and we're going to make this aggravating and irritating and frustrating for him. We're going to be just little insects pissing them off constantly. And while we're doing that, the Federation's going to finally get tired of this and want to go away and go home and just wash their hands of this business. And so they're going to force the local people, the Rattans, I want to say? God, I don't remember. Uh, in order to make peace. I swear I wrote it down. Whatever. Um, we're going to force them to make peace. 
And those, that peace will be made with concessions, and then finally we will have actually won what it is that we want out of this particular long-term war. That is a good strategy. I don't think it would have worked here. Not only because of the reasons that it didn't work, but because I don't think these people understand the nature of the variance here. Their little inverter thing helps them to have an edge. An edge. The Enterprise has everything else and basically crushes the entire cell by itself. And that's the problem. The moment the Federation, Starfleet in particular, starts really paying attention to you... I know people are going to argue the whole guerrilla warfare thing, but guerrilla warfare doesn't work when you have sensors that can detect things from space. It, it, it's the old concept of tears, right? Like... If this was just another nation on the planet, yeah, sure, at, at a certain point, and with the level of relative tech that I have, yeah, this, this would totally be a valid strategy and would definitely work because the, the Federation, which is on the continent blah, couldn't really do anything about this. But then when you go up a full tier of tech level, the, the rules don't apply the same way anymore. It doesn't matter how good you are at hiding in, in, in a bush and you're, and you're attacking me with sticks, if I can beam you into space... Right? And this episode, again, illustrates my point beautifully. They spend the entire episode reverse engineering their only advantage, the inverter, and removing that advantage from them. And once that advantage is gone, that's it. I've always had the mental impression that this is basically the end of this terrorist movement here. That there will always be uh, aggravators, that there will be terrorists, that there will be further people who take up the cause. But they will never have the same kind of prominence or power that they had at this point in time because of the Enterprise and the fact that they brought the Enterprise into the fight. Because I don't think they knew what they were dealing with. Or I don't think they cared. One of the two. I like to think the former, personally... I think that was more of a, they were dealing with the Enterprise as if they were playing the same game with the same rules, not understanding the tier thing I mentioned earlier. Notice that despite the whole, you know, uh, I, you know, they were masking their presence, and yet despite that, as soon as they knew where they were, they were able to beam down without issue. Which brings up another little thing I like about this episode. There's a lot of surprisingly good competency on display by the Starfleet personnel. This is also especially stark considering the last episode was The Hunted, where the Starfleet personnel were idiots almost universally, with the exception of Worf and Data. And I guess Troy, actually, now that I think about it. <clears throat> That's it. <laughs> and yet here in this episode, everyone acts properly and quickly and smoothly, and it's just bam, bam, bam. Even the commando raid on the terrorist base was actually very well done and very well executed. Good stuff all around. There's a scene where Picard and Beverly get together, and they just talk with each other. This is actually the first scene the two have really had together since... Uh, uh, oh, God. I can't think of the name of it. The first episode of season three. Um, evolution. That was it. Evolution. This is the first time the two have actually had a scene together. I don't know if this was a deliberate thing or not, but I've noticed the two don't really have that much going on in Season 3. Maybe that was to push away from the whole they're getting together that was originally intended in Season 1. I'm not sure. What I do know is that that's a shame, regardless of romantic disposition, because of the fact that the two actors are wonderful together and have amazing chemistry, and this scene shows that in spades. The two actors just act off of each other for like four minutes, and it's wonderful. 
talking about each other, uh, their decisions, whether or not they should have done this, morality versus correctness versus ethics versus what's going on with Wesley and he's going to be a good officer. He's the one who helped find this and blah, 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 right? Just, it's great stuff. And it really helps sell a lot of the moment. So I, I mentioned this here really quick, sorry. I mentioned his strategy, but I just, I just want to repeat what I wrote down. He has no idea how quickly the Federation would crush them. <laughs> it's just what I have written down here. Ah. So Finn is complex. Beverly seems to be uh, sympathizing with him, but I don't think that's true. I want to credit Gates McFadden for this and the director. Obviously, uh, Beaumont is a very good director, as I mentioned before. I feel like uh, Beverly Crusher does not sympathize with, has not fallen for, there's not actually some genuine Stockholm going on. I think she pities him. I think what Beverly Crusher sees is someone who, in an idyllic civilization, like hers, could have been an artist or a painter or a sculptor or could have gone on to learn and do and be and to have a life. And instead what she sees is a murderer who is a monster who terrifies her. I think that is what's going on here. And I like that because it, it seems kind of Stockholm-y until you take a step back and look at it and be like, ah, okay. And it adds, uh, frankly, it adds a little bit of added layer of, let's call it depth, to Crusher herself. I think it would have been doing Crusher a disservice if this was just another case of Stockholm Syndrome. Oh yeah, really quick note. There's this one little line, I feel like Melissa Snodgrass is playing with us here, where Beverly says to Picard, in case you know we don't make this out of this, there's some things I want to tell you. And then, the, then, then everything interrupts and we have no idea what that is. Ah. Anyways. <laughs> ah. I sometimes wonder if I would have the capacity to do some of the things that I see in fiction. I don't think I would. I've never killed anyone. And I don't think I'm really that capable of that kind of a thing. Even killing. Obviously, I'm incapable of murder. That's just right off the table. But even killing in self-defense or defense of another, I just don't know if I'm capable of that kind of thing. I sometimes wonder if that's the sort of thing that can happen, especially when you're already as relatively as old as I am. I'm, I'm, I know I'm not exactly ancient, but I'm well past my developing years. You know, My personality is locked in stone at this point, right? I mention that because one of the other points of debate I've heard about this episode is whether or not this constitutes a nurture versus nature argument. That the nature of most of these people is to be peaceful and cooperative and all that fun stuff, but the nurture of this environment in which they grow up in, the dark and unpleasant reality of this possibly oppressive situation with these possibly completely evil terrorists, again, because there's so much gray on both sides, does not allow for that to come forth. And so we only see little tidbits, hints of nurture, or excuse me, nature, uh, being surrounded by the nurture. And of course, whether or not which side is another is, is more prevalent is something that's been dated, debated for all of human history, basically, so who knows. I don't have much else to add. I'm kind of dreading the comments section of this one. I do hope you've enjoyed. And I'll see you guys next time.